0: Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, of course, this is a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, or as we learned last week, the Torah on the Mount, the teaching on the Mount that Jesus is giving. If you haven't watched last week's service, like Pastor Kyle said, uh, I want to encourage you to do so. These sermons are going to build on one another. Don't You don't have to do it now, but uh, sometime in the week you may want to listen to that sermon so you'll you'll be right in line with where we are. What we're saying in this entire series is that we are disciples of Jesus, and that means that Jesus is our teacher. Now, I know he's our Lord and our Savior and uh, and was the Son of God and all of those things, but we are focusing particularly during this series on Jesus as our teacher. And if Jesus is our teacher and we are his disciples, that means we should know what he taught us. We are not just called to know about Jesus so that we can spout off a creed or something. Now, it's not that that's bad. You you should learn about Jesus too. But the deeper focus as a disciple is that we need to know what our teacher taught us so that we might live out what Jesus taught us. That it might be, his teaching might be embodied in our very lives. We also saw that we must look at who Jesus was teaching, if we want to better understand what Jesus was teaching. That context is important in this in- instance. We want to look at who Jesus was teaching to better understand what Jesus was teaching. Spe- he was speaking to his four disciples. He didn't have all twelve gathered yet. And he was speaking to the crowds. And we looked at that to see that those crowds were made up of the diseased, those with severe pain, the demon-possessed, people with, with seizures, people who were paralyzed, which probably meant that their families had to, to bring them along in order to do this. There were insiders from Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee. That means Jewish folk. And there were outsiders like Syrians, the Decapolis, and those from beyond the Jordan that, that would have been held at least a little in suspect as uh, by the Jews. Jesus exposes his heart and soul in this teaching and so we want to hear what is the heart and soul Jesus teaching. So if you are able and you have turned to Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse one, if you are able, would you stand in reverence to the reading of the gospel so that you can hear the heart and soul of our savior and teacher, Jesus? Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Who were before you? This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is thanks be to God. I remember when I was a young counselor, I was still in my internship at this point, a a specific client that I had. And of course, I'm not going to give names or anything. But this client, they described in their working with me as they came in, even on their very first session, they described some horrific abuse that they had endured as a child through their teenage years. And now they were out of that place and, and they were living as an adult, but they were still dealing with some of the ramifications of that horrific abuse. And as that person shared the story of their abuse, they did so with a very flat affect. That's that's a counseling way of saying they had no emotion. It was like a robot was describing a scene of chaos. Just very flat, no emotion. And yet I, as the counselor, found tears beginning to flow down my cheeks. And I couldn't control those tears. I mean, I, I held my composure. I was, I was able to maintain myself and finish the session and do all the things that I was supposed to do as a counselor. But as I said goodbye to them and they left, and when the door finally closed, the floodgates of my heart were opened. I was moved into a deep grief for what this person had been through. The tears came more readily. I began to sob quietly in my office. And I began to notice that that sorrow was also mixed with anger. That this could happen to a person from childhood to young adulthood. And nothing would be done about it. I also began to notice that part of that anger and that sorrow and that grief was this feeling that this should not happen between a mother and a child. What in the world was going on in the world? And all of that was wrapped up in one feeling and one emotion. Maybe you're not a counselor, but maybe you have experienced something similar to that situation. Maybe you have have experienced that anger that's mixed with sorrow, that's mixed for with this, what in the world is going on? If you have had that experience, then you will begin to understand what Jesus is teaching in these next three blessings that we're going to look at today. Now, we need to remember that blessing is the word makarioi. Let's say that together to just get it in your head. One, two, three. Makarioi. And we looked at Makarioi, which is trans, or translated as blessed or blessing. But literally the word Makarioi means to expand because of God's activity. That because God is at work, you are expanding. We looked at that in the Old Testament and how God would expand their herds, expand their families, expand their territory. And all of that was the understanding of blessing. And in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn. And that's not two things that we, would, that we would put together. We would not put together blessing and mourning or deep sorrow together. So what is going on here? Well, I want to teach you what the Greek word is for mourn, and that is the word penthuntes. It's pen, thun. Let's say that together, all together. Ready? One, two, three. Penthuntes. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Penthuntes. This word, penthuntes, is the strongest usage of the word for grief or sorrow. It is the grieving which brings spontaneous weeping and tears. An example of this that we find in the Bible is when the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, but when it was translated into Greek, this word penthuntes was used in Genesis 37 when Jacob was lied to by his sons and told that one of his sons, Joseph, had been killed by wild animals. The Bible says that he tore his garments and put sackcloth on and penthuntes for his son many days. In fact, it, just a few verses later, when they're trying to console him and comfort him, he says, no, I will continue to penthuntes until I join my son in the grave. This is the word that Jesus uses. Now remember, who is Jesus saying this to? The crowds. Do you think in a crowd filled with people suffering from diseases, people who are paralyzed, which means some of them had to bring their family, those suffering severe pain, those who were demon possessed, do you think that some of them, maybe even most of them, understood what it meant to penthuntes, to grieve, to watch their child—maybe some of them had even lost family members to disease or to, to par- paralysis or those types of things. Jesus again was looking at those who had experienced penthuntes, eyeball to eyeball, right then, right there, and he says to them, right to their faces, that they are blessed. Hmm. Let's move on, because Jesus doesn't stop there. These three blessings actually work together, so we need to see them in their context. He goes on in the next verse and says, blessed are the meek. Now, how many of you have used the term meek even this week or even this month? Or even this year, or how many of you have ever used it, ever? It's it's a word that's kind of fallen out of usage in the English language. We don't really use it anymore. And if you were to think about it, maybe your dictionary would, would say, or maybe you would just kind of remember something that would say, it's probably someone who's a coward, or, or someone who's very, very compliant. They're just meek, you can run over them, you can do whatever. And I want you to know this is far from the correct meaning of the word meek, or that is translated in English as meek. The word Jesus uses is the Greek word praes. You want to say that with me, don't you? Praes. Ready? One, two, three. Praes. Let's Say it one more time. One, two, three. Praes. He says, blessed are the praes. So what does praes mean? It is only used four times in the scriptures, and it is often translated into English as meek, or sometimes it's translated as gentle. But this doesn't really help us in English to capture the meaning of what this word really means. So I I looked at at some other things, and I was looking at what scholars were saying, and found this interesting part about how Aristotle uses the word praes. He uses it four hundred ish so years before jesus when he was trying to describe what virtues are now aristotle believed that virtues were the happy middle point between two excesses so like when he's trying to understand the virtue of generosity he says that's the medium between being a spendthrift just throwing your money away basically and being a miser where you hoard your money being a happy medium is to be generous You're not miserly, but you don't just throw it away. You're wise in how you give and how you spend. Now, one of Aristotle's virtue was this word, praes. It is the middle ground between two extremes. Are you ready for the extremes? It is the middle ground between rage and doormatness. I know that's not really a word. Being a doormat. It's the middle ground between rage and being a doormat. So it is really the one who is angry, the one who is pro-ace is the one who is angry at the right time, at the right situation, and in the right manner. They're not flying off the handle in rage, they're not just letting things go, but they are angry at the right time, at the right situation, and in the right manner. I think a good example that we might know about in our modern day is the example of Rosa Parks. If you're not familiar with this story, she was a woman who who lived and was a a worker uh, in Alabama during the 1960s. And she got on a bus after a long day of work, and because of the Jim Crow laws and segregation of the day, she was forced to sit at the back of the bus. And if a white person got on the bus and it was so full that they needed her seat, they could demand their seat. Well, she sat down and she was tired and exhausted and she kind of woke up to a white man telling her that she needed to move. But she was pro-Ace. She was angry at the right time. It was it was the time to show that this type of law was not good and she was angry. She was angry at the right situation. That law that said she, a hard-working person who had claimed a seat, needed to give it up based on her race. But she was also angry in the right way. She said, I'm tired and I'm not going to move anymore. That is an example of praes. If we want to look at a biblical example of Ace, we may want to look at the example of Jesus when a woman who was caught in adultery was brought and laid at his feet and, and the they, he was tested. And the, the people who had brought her said, Moses' law tells us we must stone a woman like this. And they had brought their stones with them. They were ready to do her in as soon as Jesus gave the word to do that and yet Jesus was pro ace he looked at those who who brought their stones and brought their judgments and he knew the hypocrisy he was angry at the right situation because it takes two to be in adultery where was the husband that should be there along with this woman? And why wasn't he being held accountable at that time? And in his praase he said it in the right way. He stood up and said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And everyone dropped their stones and walked away. And he was praise with the woman who was laying there. He said, I do not condemn you. But go and don't sin anymore. It wasn't just a doormat, I'll just go and do whatever you want. It was, no, pra ace. Yeah, I don't condemn you, but go and don't sin anymore. This is pra ace. In the crowd Jesus was speaking to, do you think there were people who were angry? You bet there were. They were probably angry at how they or their loved one who was sick or unwell was treated by this society and even by their own religion. They were probably angry at the unfairness of life. They were probably angry at how the system worked against them every way and every time. They were angry at the, their powerlessness to change anything. They couldn't vote. They couldn't protest. You protest back in those days and you're killed just had to sit and take it to them. Eyeball to eyeball to those people in the crowd. Jesus says, you all are blessed. God is expanding you through his presence and active work. It's hard to hear. Last one for today. And it pulls the other two together. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, hunger and thirst implies that you do not have food or water, correct? I mean, if you have food sitting there and you're hungry, you cram it in your mouth, right? Or if you're dying, you're thirsty, you just grab your drink and you down it. But if you're hungry and thirsty, it implies you don't have the food or the water. So take just a minute and think about the last time that you were hungry, hungry, and the last time that you were thirsty. I know uh, the example that came to my mind was when I was doing a bit of running. I was getting ready for a half marathon at the time, and I was I was going out on my run, and I just thought, this is going to be great. So I, I drove my car at, down to Kilgore, uh right there at Kilgore and Lover's Lane. You can park and you can run the Portage Creek Trail. It's a lovely trail, trees everywhere. There's a stream that runs, you know, around the thing. You can hear it going. It's just a beautiful place to run. And uh I was going to do six miles, so I was going to run three miles out and three miles back, and I just... Took this notion that, man, I just don't want to be disturbed by anything. I just want to enjoy nature. I want to, so I'm going to leave my phone and all that in the car. No music today. No headphones. Just running. Just being out there. And it was great. I enjoyed the run. I'm, I'm on my way. I'm, I'm going as before breakfast. I hadn't eaten anything since dinner the night before. And, uh, and I, I left everything there. I thought, ah, oh, it's only six miles. I don't need to take water with me. I got three miles in to make the turn to come back to where I was. I was I was probably down close uh, past Millham, close to Romance, maybe near the library. And all of a sudden, I heard something pop in my foot. And and all of a sudden, I I could not uh, do much more than just kind of hobble a little bit. I thought, oh no, I thought maybe I can make it, I'll try and stretch it out a little bit. I tried, try as I might, there was no way. So now I'm at the furthest point out and I've got to walk all the way back. I've got to hobble all the way back to Kilgore Road, three miles. It took forever. Lori was was crazy with worry about where I was because it took so long. But I remember getting back to the car and the only thing I could think of for about the last mile and a half was, why did I leave my water bottle in the car? I needed, I was so thirsty and I hadn't had anything to eat. I was so hungry. That was the best protein bar I think I have ever eaten because I was so hungry and so Thirsty. Have you been there? Have you experienced that kind of hunger and thirst? Well, Jesus uses these this this idea when he's talking about those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and again jesus uses extreme words for hunger and for thirst we're not going to go into those words but i want you to know that you could translate the word that he uses for hungry as starving and the word that he uses for thirsty as dying of thirst they were strong words to describe hunger and thirst and what are they starving for and dying of thirst for? They are dying of thirst and hungry, starving for righteousness. That seems like a very religious word. The Greek word for righteousness is the word dikaiosune. It's a strange word, Dikai Osune. Sounds like an Irish name, right? Dikaiosune. Let's say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Dikaiosune. You say it all together. One more time. One, two, three, dikaiosune. The thing about righteousness or decaiosune is that it is a relational term. Righteousness is to be in right relationship with someone. In the Bible, it is often used of humanity being in right relationship with God. That, that there is nothing between you, that the, the ledger has been cleared, that there's, there is just openness between that relationship between you and God. It also in, talks about that right relationship between human beings. Dikaiosune can, can also be translated justice. In some of your translations it might be. But justice if you think about it justice is a right relationship type of term it's a relational term if you are experiencing unjust uh, unjust conditions and justice is then brought to it it restores the rightness of the relationship in fact in the ancient courts of Israel if you were if a charge was brought against you let's say from your neighbor that you had stolen his donkey and the the judges would look at it. They would look at all the evidence and they, they say, no, he hasn't stolen the donkey. You're not declared innocent. You're declared righteous. It means you have done nothing to break down the relationship with your neighbor. You are dikaiosune. You are righteous. So Jesus is looking at folks who are hungry and starving and thirsting for things to be right in the world. And he says, blessed are you. Not just they're not just starving for just personal relationships to be right, but the larger form of dikaiosune, the relationship of how things are supposed to work in the world. They're longing for that. They're hungry for that. They're starving for that. And Jesus looks at them eyeball to eyeball and said, blessed is the one who is starving for the world to work the way it is supposed to. The way God means for it to work. Blessed are those who are dying of thirst for people in power to treat people as family instead of as property or instead of as pieces of meat or as worthless or as simply animals. That's a deep hunger And when you get in touch with that kind of hunger and that kind of thirst, it involves some deep sorrow, some penthuntes, and also some appropriate anger or meekness or praes. So Jesus looks in the eye of these people all around Him and declares to them, blessed are you, God is expanding you, and His life-giving and saving activity is coming to you and it is coming now. And it is not because you are grieving or mourning. It is not because you are appropriately angry. It is not because you are starving for the world to be set right with all its relationships. Mourning is not good. Anger is not sustainable. Starving is not good. So why does Jesus call them blessed? In these blessings, just like last week, Jesus is saying, you all are blessed because God has seen you and God has heard you. God sees your grief. God hears your angry cries. God feels your hunger. And this God is right now going to do something about it. This is God's kingdom, and in God's kingdom is for those who most need Him. So you, who are grieving to the point of death, I am here to bring you comfort. I, Jesus, am here to lift your head and to dry your tears. I, Jesus, am here right now, beginning the change of this world that will end in a place where there are no more tears. You, who are angry at how the world is working, but have no power to change it. You are blessed because I, Jesus, am here and your anger will turn to joy as you see things change through my sacrifice and resurrection. You will see my meekness as I drive money changers out of the place in the temple that is supposed to be the place for the nations to pray. You will see my meekness when I challenge the religious leaders with the way they burden people unnecessarily. You will see my meekness when I do die as one of you because of the way sin has broken the relationships of the world and still have the strength to forgive those who are in the act of killing me. And because of my death and resurrection, you, yes, you, will inherit the earth. You will be blessed. Because I have been sent by God, you who are starving for righteousness and justice will be what? Filled. Your thirst will be quenched with the living water that I offer a Samaritan woman, an outsider, so that I can restore the relationship of an entire village of Samaritans to God. You will have your hunger filled with the bread of life as I give my life as a sacrifice to tear down the dividing wall between humanity and God and all of the walls that human beings have built between each other. If you're grieving, you will know comfort. If you're angry, you will inherit. If you're starving or dying of thirst, you will be filled with living water and bread from heaven. Is that good news this morning, church? Amen. Because Jesus has come to those crowds long ago and to us here today. Why is this teaching so important? I want to give you two reasons. The first is very, very important. The reason why this is important is to remind you who right now, those of you who right now are grieving. For those of you right now who are meek, who are appropriately angry and longing for the things that need to change. And for right now, those of you who are starving or dying of thirst for the world to be right, for a relationship that is broken to be restored, for God to move in this place. I want to say to you right now, right wherever you are, right there on your couch, right in your living room, right at your computer desk, I want you to know if you have fall into those categories that Jesus is here now. And you, right now, can receive comfort. You can receive support. You can have relationships healed and restored right here and right now. Jesus wants you to know his healing presence, and his ability to sustain you right here and right now. That's good news for you. The second reason is for those of us who consider ourselves Jesus' disciples. Why is this important? Well, first of all, and and probably most importantly, it was important to Jesus. This was the first time he laid down a teaching. Remember last week we saw that the way he taught, he was bearing his heart and his soul. This is the heart of Jesus' teaching. And so if we are his disciples, it should be the heart of what we desire to learn and move forward to. But really what these three blessings are teaching us if we are going to be disciples is that we need to realize that people who are in pain need a People of presence. Let me say that again. People in pain need a people of presence. As a disciple of Jesus, will you comfort those who are grieving? As a disciple of Jesus, will you be uncomfortable in their pain and anger and then just be present and listen? Will you help to satisfy their hunger and thirst by working with them for righteousness and justice, to see relationships restored, both personal and all the way out to the systems of our world? This is our call. And our teacher, our Lord, our Savior modeled this with His very life and His teachings so will we be his students? Will we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us be a people of presence for people who are in pain? I spoke about my client long ago at the beginning of this sermon. I've come to know as I this client has brought up in my thoughts every now and then. Looking back on it, I believe it was not my words that healed them. It was not my wisdom that revived them or restored them to a little bit better mental health. It was not my technique that transformed them. When it comes right down to it, it was my presence with them that was healing. To cry when they couldn't. To give words to appropriate anger when they had no words to say. To give that individual the food and drink of modeling what is right, what right relationships should look like. In other words, to model what is Christ-like for them. To be the presence of my teacher with that hurting Wounded, hungry, grieving, sorrowful, meek individual. This is the call of discipleship, my friends. Will we be people of presence for people who are in pain? Will we be the ones who model in our very lives the same truth that we sing every week when we sing, Hallelujah, you belong here. In His presence, safe and secure. We see hope coming on the horizon. There's no need for hiding, because you belong. Would you bow your heads and pray with me. Jesus, thank you for coming to those of us who were grieving. Thank you for coming to those of us who, because of life, have have just felt beaten down and we feel that anger stirring within us. God, we we thank you for being the one. Who would come with your very presence in Jesus. To feed my hunger. To quench my thirst. To make possible right relationship between myself and you, God. And to help me look at my brothers and sisters. With the walls torn down. To restore the relationship between any human being. Lord Jesus, today I believe that there are those who are in need of your healing. They're in need of your presence. They're in need of comfort for their grieving. They're in need of, of help, of, of inheriting in their appropriate anger. They're in need of bread of life and and the water of life that only you can give. And so I pray right there in their homes all around the world. They would reach out to you. And hear you say blessed are you. For I am here to comfort. I am here to bring inheritance. I am here to give you bread. To give you water. Father we are also your disciples. We are your students. So help us to know that the Holy Spirit wasn't just given to us so we could just sit in a pew or sit in our homes, but that we were called to go to people of pain and to be a people of your presence in their lives. Help us to put our arm around those who are grieving, to pray for those who are mourning, to reach out to those who are in sorrow. Help us, O God to listen, to sit in the pain with those who are meek, those who are angry. And help us to offer words of encouragement and actions that show we are with them. Help us to go in your name to see righteousness, whether that is to share the good news with our neighbor that the relationship between them and you might be restored, or whether it is to work to show us as one human race, one human family, because you have torn down the dividing walls. Help us as your disciples to go to people in pain as a people of your presence. For you have freely given to us. You call us to freely give to them. We pray and ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Would you stand wherever you are around the world and receive this blessing? And now, may you be called to people of pain and recognize that as the disciple, you are called to be a people of presence. May you comfort those who are in mourning. May you encourage those who are meek. May your actions show that you are bringing bread and water to those who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness. May you pray for opportunity and openness to share the good news. And may you experience the joy of knowing that because of Jesus, you can be filled, you can inherit, you can be comforted. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Have a great week and join us here again next week at the same time. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.